you want to be free, the first thing you have to think about is what kind of education should we possess? Two words, death. Two words, death, death. Education. Two words, death. Two words, death, death. Education. Death, death, education. The education system presumes you to fail. The next place is the corner, then after that, jail. Jersey City has changed. Overpriced for those who remain. Now, who's to blame because I can't sustain? Pockets all empty and I feel this pain. Red line equals economic flatline. City- What's up, everybody? This is Andre Benito Mountain, and you are listening to the Deaf Education Podcast, where we delve into matters of public education, social justice, the arts, and we love hip-hop culture, hip-hop music. And today, we're fortunate to have a special guest, Principal Christopher Gadsden. He is the principal of Lincoln High School in Jersey City, New Jersey, one of my former homes. So welcome, Principal Gadsden to the Deaf Education Podcast. And, uh, you know, we're going to have a good conversation, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We are inspired by some of the things we've been seeing you do in oh, Jersey City. Up. You know, I, I spent some time in Jersey so, City course, many years ago. Chilltown, see? A lot of... <laughs> you know, I'm born and raised in Chilltown. Jersey City, you know, 38 Snyder High School, NJCU, St. Peter's University. You know, I'm so Jersey City. (laughs) So let's start with you. Who are your greatest influences? Because all of us look back in our lives and we see people who pointed us in the right direction or or dropped a jewel on us. Who are those people for you? When you start thinking about it, like, you know, my mother, definitely a strong woman holding it down. You know, did a lot with, you know, with a little, you know, my, my grandfather, uh, Hurley Fair, he's like one of the earlier uh, black police officers here in Jersey City. He taught me like what family life and structure and, and you know, what a good father looks like and what a good father does for the household. Um, then I have my, you know, I wasn't born when they were around, but, you know, Malcolm X and Dr. King. You know, Malcolm X is dealing with my identity and King is is, is uh, dealing with me and telling me what I need to do in the uh, cause of the advancement of the people, civil rights and what I need to stand up and fight for. You know, so those are my influences. Now, being a principal is a big role. And uh, I will tell you, one of the things that that frustrates me about being a principal is the fact that many times when we attempt to hold our young people accountable, particularly our young African-American men, parents will come to their defense even when they're well, wrong. You know, I, you know, I hold families accountable, but if families will also need, you know, that father, that uncle or that role model, you know, then I step in, you know. So, you know, being the principal of a school, you know, I believe that we're the like we're on the front lines and we're the last resource in the community that kind of gives people um, hope or gives people structure or gives people some, like guidance. And, um, you know, with the decline of our spiritual, you know, places of worship and things like that, people rely upon the school heavily, you know, and you probably experienced that a lot as a principal, man, with the social services, the counseling, everything else that is involved with bringing up a child. So 
you know, it's really assisting and helping out as much as we could because of the yeah. lack that's inside of, you know, the community. So Chris, I'll be honest with you. I meet a lot of people who aspire to get into educational leadership for whatever reason, man. Some people really are drawn to doing this work for the sake of families and kids. Other folks uh, want to uh, be in charge and they have uh, visions of what they would do if they were in charge. And, and I get that. But talk to me about what your inspiration was to actually make the shift from becoming an educator to a school leader. It was... Um I was in college. I was in community college. Um, I, I started volunteering at AmeriCorps. Um, I started to um, work with children to, you know, improve their literacy skills. I started you know, doing that work, and then it dawned on me that, you know, I should be in the classroom. So I started uh, working in the pre-college upper bound programs. Became a counselor. Became a teacher. Then I became a paraprofessional. Became a teacher assistant. Then um, a principal gave me a big shot at teaching in the classroom. I started off at PS12 in Jersey City, um, became teacher of the year, like um, in my second year of teaching, because I just was like, once you gave me access, I was like, uh -oh. I want to go hard at this. Yeah, my journey was somewhat similar. I had a, a position as a long-term sub for about six months in a first grade classroom. And watching those kids over that period of just a few months, learning to read or learning how to put sentences together or, you know learning their sight words that was transformative for me and so it inspired me to go get my certification and then to pursue elementary education but um you know i ended up teaching fourth and fifth grade and really leaning towards reading and social studies and those things and found that that was what i needed to be doing you know and i had a love for it and i still have that love for we're teaching reading, social studies, and making sure kids connect with their history. So where did it start for you? Where did the love for it start? You know, what were you doing in the different buildings that you were working in? <laughs> I was just all in the building, man, like those 11 years. But uh, I settled in <laughs> became a social studies teacher in yeah. middle school. And that's where I spent like about five or six years really engaging um our scholars into like their history and i was more so focused on having them to understand who they were and social studies has brought forth a great platform you know in, in order to do that um but then uh you know while in the classroom my principal had said you know i see leadership in you and you need to take it up a notch and so the superintendent at that time was like um you know we need um, extra help at the high school um, at Lincoln High School so I was afforded the opportunity to be vice principal and uh, be a part of a team that was uh, utilized to help turn around the school uh, because at, at that time in 2011 Lincoln High School had like a graduation rate of 39% uh, it was real low and uh, threats of closing down the school and you know taking it over by the state you know that whole conversation and then you know, we just went in there and we rocked out and we did what we had to do. And, uh, you know, our graduation rate is over 70%. Um, our, our scholars are just thriving and doing everything in their power to be successful. And uh, we had a great team of teachers and staff and doing that. But then um, in 2018, um, I was granted the opportunity uh, to be principal of the same school that I started out my um, vice principalship in. And uh, for the last three years, I've just enjoyed it. 
um, I've just enjoyed it. Lincoln High School, home of the Mighty Lions. So I learned about you through one of my teachers, um, Sonia Cologne. And she said, listen, Mountain, you need to check out Chris Gadsden in Jersey City. He's a principal. Check out what he's doing. <laughs> so I started Googling you and I came across a cypher, hip hop educated cypher. And and I watched the whole thing. And the last person, you know, in hip hop, if you get the last verse, that means nobody wants to go after you. Right. That, <laughs> and, and your verse was the last verse. And so we're going to play a little bit of that okay. for the listeners. And then we'll come back and you can tell us how that all came about. Jersey City has changed overpriced for those who remain. Now who's to blame because I can't sustain? Pockets all empty and I feel this pain. Red line equals economic flatline. And City Hall won't throw me a lifeline. Policies got my people all contained. Hasa Diddy folks laugh, laugh like it's a game. The capitalists with their grins on their face and people of color, we're all displaced. I'm speaking for the people in the gutter, educator, activists trying to make your life better. The downtrodden people rooting for the underdog. We're on our come up, call us boss hog. And I want it all, you want my downfall. Naysayers, forget all of y'all. Yo, your intentions are impure. Therefore, I stand up and go to war. These people don't respect us. Dollar bills got their morals all messed up. So we rise up and take care of business. Become the principal and take care of the children. Tell them how they supposed to make a living. Tell them get their money up so they can have a pot to piss and don't walk this earth without no vision. Eyes on the prize like our ancestors have envisioned. The royal men got them qualities within me. Honorable got integrity within me. Yo, you better judge them by their fruits. Sour grapes make sour juice I'm getting tired of the violence and the killing Dreams are not fulfilled because my people aren't living Or in prison I'm immersed inside of uh, The Color of Law You know, my Richard Ropestein And he's basically talking about redlining Just talking about how the housing policy in America Has helped to, like, create this racially divided community that we're living in so you know i start off by saying like my city has changed is overpriced for those who remain you know like and 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 who's to blame you know because i can't sustain you know and then i just go into red line it equals economic mm -hmm. flat line and city hall won't throw me a lifeline so it's those policies that create the conditions that our people are actually living in so that's why you know all that was influenced by all that, you know, and then I was talking about, talking about what we need to do in order to elevate and what I got to do as a principal to take care of these children, you know, because we, we got to address so many issues that we have in our community. So, I mean, that's how that verse, you know, came about. And just to note, like I'm heavily involved inside of the community. You know, I'm a part of like the local branch of the NAACP. I'm the political action chair. I'm, I'm a part of the Royal Men Foundation. We just do a, a lot of community service work, right? So I wanted to roll that into being a legislator, right? So I was, you know, I was elected uh, councilman um, in Ward B in Jersey City. If folks are familiar with Jersey City, that's the west side of Jersey City. And I had a year on the council. I was the first black uh, person elected outside of a predominantly black community um, in the history of Jersey City. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I was very proud of that. I've served over forty thousand residents. Major. 
Um, you know, then I go back into the schoolhouse serving hundreds. Um, over my life, I've served thousands of parents. And it's, you know, like really, really is about, man, it's about that work, man. It's about servicing, you know, servicing humanity. So whether it be me being a legislator, whether me being an educator, whether me being just serving people in whatever capacity, I think that's just been, you know, a mission and purpose in life, you know? So Chris, it's that time of year when teachers are thinking about moving, uh, transferring, or re-signing their contract to stay with us at our respective schools. And my thing is, when you're looking at staffing your building, what are the things that come to mind? What are the things that you look for in a teacher who's going to be invested, fully invested, in the lives of the kids at your school? Talk to me about what you look for when you sit at that table and a candidate is interviewing for a position at Lincoln. I, like, I, wanna, I want you to know and understand that you have a uh, responsibility and a duty to making sure that their lives are blessed, right? So, you know, you can't really capture that inside of an interview question, but you can, you know, but I have a good way of, uh, you know, uh, discerning, uh, you know, a person's spirit or motive or whatever. And I can see how you talk and how you walk, how dedicated you are. Um, because there's a, and there's also a level of consciousness um, that has to be involved, um, whether it be a consciousness of the surrounding area, the community in which our um, students come from, or just a whole um, consciousness of just um, a worldly consciousness. And because that's going to place our kids within that context, you're going to deliver that uh, context to our students. So, and then it's also understanding that, you know, pedagogy and content knowledge and everything else like that. But my, my number one thing, I like to see how committed you are and your passion, you know, that you're not going to give up or let up on our students. You know, like that's the real mm -hmm. essence of really being a teacher, because this is a service. This is not this is not a, a job or profession that you can just get into. And just because you want to, you know, summer's off and all the rest of that. Now, this is a noble profession. So you got to give a lot of yourself, you know, and I want to see if you're willing to sacrifice. Speaking of sacrifice, I was just talking with members of my team about giving beyond the school day, whether it's a chess club, a garden club, um, an, an exercise group or you know, everybody needs to look at how can I contribute beyond the instructional day? You know, sometimes teachers get into the habit of blaming the student or blaming the parents. And I just, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, because at times, you know, like we can't really blame outside factors and parenting and things like that. But sometimes we have to reflect on our approach. And me, I'm also, and I challenge everybody else to be a reflective practitioner because then you got to work in those areas if you're not able to deliver that struct that instruction, or well, what can I do differently? Or you need to find inlets and inroads into a child's life so they can trust you and, and so they can understand you got their back. And the same thing with parents, because parents are always skeptical of people, um, and, and and always questioning, you know, our motives. But when they learn how to trust us, all that goes out of the window, you know. What is the thing that you love most about this role as being a principal there at Lincoln? One of the things I love, um, you know, making sure that, our, you know, students are okay, you know, and they go to the next level, you know, like that's the thing that brings me the most um, joy out of this because, you know, as you know, this profession is not about us, you know, it's about servicing. And so like when we, when, when everything is, is going well, the instruction is, is off the hook. Uh, teachers are engaging the scholars and doing what they have to do in order to push them. 
And then, you know, they look back and they say, you know, you guys gave us your all. Like, you guys, like, really loved us, you know? And it's great to see those students come back, like, in their second year of college or, you know, or even the Hard Rock who who made some mistakes and came back for like, listen, I listened to you. I got my diploma. I'm going to need your help and other things. Can you write a recommendation? Like, those, those are the things that mean a lot, you know, to to an educator so principal gadson what would you say is one of your most proud moments at lincoln high school i'm sure there are many you could think of but what is one of your most proud moments during your tenure as principal at lincoln high school one of the first proud moments i had was um seeing a class graduate and and to put that into context like it was like seeing kids who i saw come in through pre-k actually graduate on stage because remember i i taught at a high school uh, excuse me I, I taught elementary school and then i just went right across the street to the high school that i'm at so i actually saw students transition from coming in four years old actually leaving out from high school into adulthood and i had a role to play in that you know that was like really one of my first you know like proud proud moments you know seeing out the, you know that transition you saw them from the beginning all the way yeah, to the end. Yeah, you know, a lot of times you don't see that. You know, like a lot of times that you in the elementary school, you see your students and and they happen to come back, whether they be parents or whether they come back. They're like, yo, you were my teacher, right? But I had that process where I knew them along the way. You know, that was and that was fascinating to me. You know, it's, it's small stuff. It's not like you know increasing the graduation rate or everybody passing the test, but it's just those little things. You know, that mean a lot to me when I see kids grow and, and do great things with their life. You know, seeing a seeing a seeing a person go D1 or, you know, seeing somebody whatever earn a scholarship, you know, like those things matter. The first person in the house about to go to college and they about to transform their lives and their family lives like that's remarkable. <laughs> That, that is that is and it and it's good to have key people like you at that point to help them make that shift school i've always worked at the elementary level because i really feel like that foundational level we don't have enough male teachers in front of our kids at that level but also you know know that if you can start a kid off learning to read that can set the tone for the rest of the time in school oh that's the truth that's the truth because there's a lot of foundational work that has to go i mean i remember teaching in the second grade and I saw that, like, because remember, like in our field, you had to make sure that they prepared, they were prepared in the second grade, because third grade, that's when you start this high, high stakes testing and everything else starts to matter, right? So, yeah, you got to have the foundation, because if they fall behind two or three uh, grade levels behind, you know, that's when we start talking about at risk and dropouts and all the rest of that stuff. So you have to get them early. So one of the things I knew I wanted to ask you, when I listened to your verse on that track, you talked a lot about our communities and, and the access and how kids need to not be out here walking around blind and not knowing what's going on. When I think back to growing up, there were a lot of manufacturing jobs. A lot of people in my community, small town in Georgia, worked in factories where they made underwear and t-shirts yeah. and lawnmowers. All those jobs are gone. And then when I moved out to Washington State, you know, it was at one point a big industrial area. But now a lot of those jobs are replaced by service jobs, Walgreens, uh, chicken restaurant. What do you say to your young people to make, help them understand that, listen, you got to get this education because the options have narrowed. 
Yeah. And not just the education. You have to make yourself marketable. Like you really have to um, find a lane, find a niche. Um, you really have to put a lot of eggs in, in baskets because the 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 opportunities that our parents had in order to, to survive, like the jobs, working two jobs, hearing that those are not there anymore. And matter of fact, like adults now and senior citizens and everybody else are taking your job, whether it be at the fast food restaurant or at, uh, you know, doing security and things like that. So you can't think small. So you have to think big. Right. So, um, you know, a lot of our students, you know, when they come to Lincoln, you know, they come in there for a, you know, for a trade or SOC, uh, a small learning community where they could do some cosmetology or they could do you know, something culinary. But you need to leave with a skill right not just a diploma and if you are going to go to a, a four-year institution you, you better not waste time with financial aid you better find something that you know you better find your heart's passion because the job market is changing everything is so rapid covid let me tell you this covid reality is uh transforming the job market also so now we got to put out um students in another position whereas they can find find life after covid find career pathways after covid while all this is going on so there's so much to do to put them in a position whereas they can uh, make money they can do things for them uh, for, for their lives raise a family you know when we start talking about these communities that are impoverished or below the poverty line you can get out of that with education because if you look at any uh, community when when the education level was at bachelor's or master's or phd folks are doing pretty well you know so we got to stress education we got to stress them making themselves marketable and uh so they can have a rightful place in society you know is there another book that you would recommend to our listeners that that speaks to your belief about public education oh public oh wow i mean you gotta start with the <laughs> you gotta start with the foundation you gotta start with you know carter g oh <laughs> if you don't start with, carter g. Woodson with that miseducation um I, I don't know where you're gonna start because because you know as educators we got to help shift um this mindset of our students like we got to unlock a man's thinking you know so we got to have them understand that their place is not at the back you know, um, they, you know, they don't have a proper place, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, so all the things that, you know, Carter G. Whitson talked about in that book is very beneficial um, to a uh, student's life and even to our lives, too, because, you know, like we got to find our rightful place in society and we can't be held back by that, you know, and as an educator, you got to you got to let your students flourish. You can't keep them trapped inside of. Um, the institutional, you know, constraints of, of, of education, because that's where people get trapped. So one of the things that I'm really proud of is is how the district that I'm in is embracing things like My Brother's Keeper mm -hmm. or the Black Lives Matter mm -hmm. movement, because I've worked in districts that were afraid to touch anything that was too black for them, you know, or made folks uncomfortable. Yeah. But we're in such a crisis in our community that we cannot afford to be so afraid to address the realities of, of what's going on. Kids being murdered every oh, week. Man. Dealing with the condition itself is not enough. And it is because of our effort toward getting straight to the root that people oftentimes think we're dealing in hate. 
We are oppressed. We are exploited. We are downtrodden. We are denied not only civil rights, but even human rights. So the only way we're going to get some of this oppression and exploitation away from us or aside from us is come together against the common enemy. What's going on at Lincoln or in your community to address some of these things? Well, I think, you know, the things that we face as a community, you know, um, one of the things that we stress at our school is really, uh, number one, uh, this family culture, right? Because, you know, in our local high schools, like we have, you know, we have different cultures in different high schools, right? And so I think <laughs> what we've done at Lincoln High School is that we've had more so umbrella approach and trying to surround students you know with supports um you know this pandemic has been a little bit different but you know we're still trying to you know save you know save students we're still trying to uh, have them to understand that they have a network of people that they can go to in order whatever for them to get anything addressed and solved and then you know we try to you know in our school try to interrupt a lot of the things that are going on negatively inside of our community because you know, we found out this that if we're not able to address the whole uh, the whole child or the need of the, uh, the, the of the whole family, then you know, always um, you know chasing after the why, you know, and so we're, we're very deliberate on trying to make sure that students have those supports, whether it be academically, whether it be socially, whether it be counseling, whether like 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 whatever you need. Uh, you know, that, that's what we tried to do. Is there a mentoring program in place in your community or in your school? It involves other people, too. So, like, you know, we'll team up with, you know, team mentoring to do something for our girls. Or, you know, we'll, you know, we have programs in our school, such as the Young Gents Club, where we try to, you know, talk to our young men about the pitfalls and about what it's needed to be successful. You know, there's... There's many things that we try to get our students involved in um, so that they can have other options, alternatives and things like that. So we partner with us just like any any program that's coming to me in my building. Like say if somebody says, well, I want to show your kids how to do this. It's yes. So like so, 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 so we put that under the umbrella because like we can't do this thing uh, called education alone. Like this is not. This is not a one man or a one team show. This is a Jersey City family wrap around, save a child, make sure that you give them resources, apprenticeship, whatever type show. So, you know, I wish I had a list to tell you because the list would be very extensive of everybody who comes in to support, you know, our scholars because it's important for everybody to know that. And then even even our alumni base, you know, they have a duty to go back into the institution of Lincoln and try to whether it be donate uh whether it be come shadow uh me at this particular job so that, so we can give them access points see when you give students more access points then those are the things that that are the bridge to opportunity and that's what you know we try to do every conversation i have with somebody it's more so like how can you bless these kids well i want to do it this way yes you can do that <laughs> i love it i love it so one of the things that has come to light with this is we get to see inside the homes of our mm -hmm. kids through, through these virtual learning platforms. And I will tell you, I've asked my students, I need you to show up in your uniform. 
you know, so that you can get your mind set for instruction. So they show up at the top of the uniform. It's a polo shirt. It could be yellow. It could be blue. But I noticed one young man was on the camera and he had a coat on. Yeah. Wow. So I sent the teacher a message. Why is he wearing a coat? And she responded because he said it's cold in his house. There's no heat. Yes. Man, I think tore me up, man. And then we have families who reach out and they don't have food. So we we are able to round up through my counseling team and get folks groceries delivered. And so the school plays such a major I'm role now you. in the lives. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, like it's and it's even highlighted even more with this pandemic on, on, on like how we have to service our um, families, you know, not just students. Like now we have to um, service families. And that's what I try to have teachers really to understand. You know, they don't be too harsh on somebody, even if they're not showing their face on camera, because at that particular moment, they could be getting yelled at or they can just be going through something in their home. We have to build more relationships so we can get that information from our, um, you know, from our, you know, from our teachers and from our parents. Yeah, this is a life changing moment for education, because I think it's it's also giving parents a glimpse into the quality of teaching because as that teacher's teaching mom or dad is in earshot of that camera so i tell teachers you have a bigger stage now now my last question for you is a question i ask every guest on deaf education podcast and that is if you had to list your top five mcs and we're going to ride out with your number one whoever your number one is but list your top five mcs oh my top five mcs uh okay well i would have to number one go with my my icon back when i was coming up because i just wanted to be like him so bad you know i wanted to be like a big daddy Kane. oh my <laughs> gosh i wanted to have you know the the consciousness of a rock him you know because when he came out he just basically shifted the whole linguistic the whole para the whole paradigm of hip-hop change with rock him um and then you know, uh, KRS One with making sure that you know I taught, making sure that you was a teacher. See, KRS One is the teacher, so you know through his lyrics, he basically always had something to say. Didn't waste too many uh, bars. Um, my 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 social consciousness comes from Public Enemy and uh, Chuck D. So all those tracks during that time, I mean, I'm growing up. My consciousness is uh, fight the power, man. It's uh you know, doing all those things. Um, and, and I carry that into my adult life. Um, and then there was another shift in hip hop after Rock came with Nas. Nas came and he just, he just, when his first delivery off the of main source, live at the barbecue. And, and from that time all the way until now, let me tell you, Nas is the truth. And then, you know, now I'm just robbing off of like, you know, bust a new project. You know, and I just love Black Thought. So, you know, those are the MC top five, though, are like Big Daddy, Rakim, Karis One, P.E., and Nas, and Nas, and Nas. How do we keep a Nas from dropping out of our schools? Hey, look, man, you let Nas have his way, you know, like you got to let that creativity just come out. Nas is going to flourish in language arts. Nas, <laughs> you know, Nas is going to flourish in history because he's going to suck up that knowledge and he's going to write those inside of bars so you gotta just let Nas just be free you gotta let you gotta understand where he's coming from if he's engaging you inside of class you gotta let Nas speak 
and, and let Nas whatever teach others because he's giving you what 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 the youth need at that particular time and we got to be able to listen you know more so than we speak you know so that's how you keep Nas in school you just let him just just express himself <laughs> well principal Gadsden it's been a pleasure having you on the deaf education podcast this is a conversation that I know I've been looking forward to and I know many of our listeners have as well as you've seen the the flyers on Instagram and Facebook but thank you for spending some time with us we hope you'll no, come thank back you and if you've had me back I definitely you know definitely love to participate in this forum man all right man we appreciate your time and we're going to continue to follow the journey of principal gadson and lincoln high school in jersey city new jersey in charge. The man with the master plan for discipline. Making changes no matter what we twist or bend. You may not understand what this means to me, but for your own good, just lean on me. Just lean on me. Quadruple, and we're off to a brand new start. I played my part to prove that you're smart.